Good morning. My name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here, and I am thankful uh, that you are here today, and hopefully when you leave, you're thankful that you are here today, uh, but we'll leave that out for the next few minutes that we're together here. Um, a couple things as we get going here. Thanksgiving is on its way, right? And it's going to be here really quick, and so two opportunities for you to participate here is one, uh, we're looking for some turkeys so we would uh, we give these away at our lighthouse uh, pantry, food pantry. And so we are looking for uh, 12 to 15 pound turkeys uh, to be donated that are going to be distributed this coming Saturday. Excuse me as I move the, uh, some furniture around here. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, and I'm going to knock the guitar over. We'll coordinate this better next time. See, this would be a really good illustration, like if I had prepared something really well here. This falls later, you're going to laugh at that. So anyways, we're going to have some turkeys uh, that we need to uh, have donated. And, uh, and then also, uh, it's just a great morning to come together to serve our community. And so if you're looking for a place to volunteer, come around 9 o'clock, and we're not going to have a signal on that TV. We're getting started really well here this morning. So this is my bad for, all right, whatever. I'm going to turn this off. We're not going to be distracted any more than we already are. Second thing is, is there is a Thanksgiving dinner that's coming up. We are happy to bring that back after, I don't know, a two-year hiatus from uh, uh, COVID. Uh, we get to have dinner here again. So please sign up in the kids' lobby. We would love for you to come hang out and meet someone new, share dinner together. And so we're just thankful that we get to do that. And then two, this past Friday was Veterans Day, and uh, we're so thankful for everyone who has served our country and continues to serve our country and I wanted to take just a moment here this morning, as we did in first service, and to honor our veterans. I just love seeing uh, the country do this in so many different ways. And so we wanted to pause for a moment. So I want to invite you, if you have served, uh, if you are a veteran, would you stand so that we can honor you this morning and say thank you to you? So please stand. Thank you fall short, but know uh, our deepest gratitude, and uh, thank you so much for that. And the last thing I wanted to say, um, I was standing in the back during worship with a big old like cheesy grin on my face, and uh, it was just awesome. Uh, I'm just so thankful for the time of worship that we could have together, and, and hopefully you were able to uh, take that time to really focus on the Lord. And I wanted to give you an update, too, that some of you may have read in the newsletter that we are you know that we're looking for what we're calling a worship designer, someone to really focus on worship at all our ages and, uh, and really pour into that. And so we had three interviews in the last week, and we're going to continue that process. And uh, we're all really encouraged after these interviews. And um, so we'll be inviting more people into that process. And uh, we'll keep you up to date. But just wanted to let you know that we were progressing along so that you would pray for us and you would pray for the individuals, too, uh, and their families as they're making decisions along with us. So we're just so thankful for what God's doing. And like I said, I'm glad that you're here this morning. So I want to read from Luke chapter 19. I invite you to turn there if you would like. Uh, the, just the reference is going to be on the screen at this moment. And we're going to be jumping over to Matthew 19 in a little while. But I want to read first from Luke 19. So I'll give you a moment to, to turn there.
right. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, really great interaction. I love this. Recently, one of our deacons was sharing with us that he's gone back and he's rereading stories that he read as a child. And it's amazing when you have these stories in your mind and you go back and you reread them as an adult, how you see things so differently and you see what Jesus was doing here. I mean, first of all, we look at this passage and poor Zacchaeus is forever cemented in history as a short guy. And what a, what a poor, <laughs> you feel for Zacchaeus, right? And here he is, he gets this out. I hear an amen out there from some short, short people here. You feel, you feel it, right? Is that Jesus goes to the place where Zacchaeus is at. He sees Zacchaeus. He knows Zacchaeus' name. And there's a transformation that takes place in Zacchaeus. There's something that happens to Zacchaeus there in that moment when he encounters the power of Jesus and then also when he spends time with Jesus. I want you to keep this story in your mind as we walk through what we're going to talk about today. We have been walking through a series called Elephants, and we have been talking about elephants in the room. And uh, we thought this would be a good idea, and every week I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's another elephant we talk about. And so I'm just tired, and, uh, uh, but it's been really, really important to walk through, and really great conversation We've had some just amazing moments uh, that we go back to in the last number of weeks and uh, encourage you to go back and listen to these. But with elephants, thinking about how Jesus in Scripture, he never ran away from a hard conversation. He never ran away from a hard situation. He never ran away from a person that others would just quickly be like, nope, not going to deal with them, not going to see them, not going to acknowledge them. He challenged the religious leaders who said they were above everyone else who thought they were more godly, more loved by God than other people that had just been pushed aside. And Zacchaeus is another example of someone who had been pushed aside, who had been pushed away by the religious leaders. And as we walked through our series, I've encouraged you really with three things. Every week is the first thing is compassion. I love how Jesus had compassion on Zacchaeus. He saw Zacchaeus. There was a crowd with many people and many needs, but he had compassion upon him. And he asked him to come down and go to his house. He also had conviction. The second thing we've talked about is conviction, is that Jesus was not there to condemn Zacchaeus, not to tell him everything he had done wrong because he knew what he had done wrong. He knew what was going on, but Jesus was there to be a presence in his life. But Jesus never strayed from who he was and who God was. And so Jesus operated with conviction. And we see here that there's a transformation that takes place. Jesus said, today salvation has come this house. 
And two, the third word as we've talked through this, not only do we have compassion, not only do we have conviction, but we continue the conversation. It's not like, I said this, therefore it goes. It's not, you said this, therefore it goes. Let's keep that conversation going. What Jesus did with Zacchaeus. I wanna go hang out at your house. I wanna talk to you, I wanna talk to your friends, I wanna hear your stories. I wanna be a part of life with you. And I love that Jesus always sought relationship and Jesus spoke into that relationship. Jesus was intentional about that. And so with all of our topics, just as it is true today, we need relationship. It's kind of like an airplane, right? Airplanes have two wings. If you have one wing, you're in trouble. You're not getting off the ground, or if you're in the air with one wing, you're in trouble, right? So you need two wings. So we've been looking at Scripture, trying to be faithful to Scripture. What did Jesus say? What did other authors say? So the theology, the doctrine, what is this? That's one wing. Thinking about how do we view the word of God? That's something I asked you the first week. Do you find the word of God authoritative? Or is it just a book with words? Or are there certain parts that are good? Or some of the moral teachings are good, but others can be rejected? I mean, how do you view scripture? A question that we can so easily ask to see how we view scripture is, if there's something in scripture that I do not like or you do not like, ask yourself the question, what should have God said in this situation? If I was God, what would I do? So then we can look and say, okay, well, this worldview lines up with some other religion. It lines up with some sort of humanism. It lines up with me playing God. That's a dangerous spot to be in. But we do that often. Like, what do I believe? And God should believe the same way. Why doesn't God believe this way? So we wrestle with this. We got to remember, too, when we look at Scripture, we need to look at it in its original context because it's written to real people in real places in a real time period. So we need to understand the original context. We need to understand the author's intent. We got to do our homework when we read a passage. Because you can read a passage like Zach here today and just say, okay, well, it's 2022. I'm in Marshall right now. And so what I need to do is I need to walk out and look for a guy in a tree and invite myself to his house. No, 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 no. Please don't do that. That's weird. It'd be kind of odd if there's a guy in a tree when you walk out too. So maybe you should. But anyways, what is the original intent? What was Jesus up to? Why is this story being told? We need to look at the original context, the author's original meaning, and then what is the truth? What is the application out of this? So that's one wing. The other wing is relationship and living it out. Like we can have all the head knowledge, all the doctrine, all the theology and miss the point. We're to live it out. You've been placed in a particular time in a particular place with particular people and God wants to speak through you and use you as a beacon of light, a beacon of hope, a beacon of love. Now today, our topic. You ready? This is a topic I wanted to speak on least. But you, thanks a lot, wanted me to speak on it the most. Out of all the questions that came in, all the topics that came in, probably two-thirds of them were about this topic. Some of the questions were like this. Where does the church stand on LGBTQ+. How does the church respond, or should the church respond, or should it just ignore? What does the Bible really say? Is gay marriage okay? What about weddings? Should I go to the wedding, yay or nay? 
What about gender? What about pronouns? What about names? What about all these things? Just the list went on. And the reason I didn't want to speak on this was not because uh, I struggle with um, Scripture or sharing what it is, but rather this message has the greatest opportunity of being misunderstood, misconstrued, weaponized, demonizing people against each other, against me, whatever it may be. And I'm not concerned about me for that sake, but rather I want us to have a Jesus-like posture again. Remember, compassion, conviction, and continuation. Ask that question, why do I believe what I believe? So if there's something said here today, just like any other week, why did I have that feeling? Why did I have that response? Why? Ask the why question. Do the work. Let's not be lazy. Sometimes we just exist in the echo chambers, and we just have people around us saying the exact same thing we want to hear. But what happens if we listen to others? It's something that our country can really learn from, that we as Christians can really learn from in this moment of like, what if we really listen to one another? You may not walk out of here agreeing. In fact, many of you won't. That's okay. But ask that why question. And I want to remind you, what we talk about today is not about a topic or an issue. It's about people. Let me be super clear on that. We're not talking about this as some like removed topic or issue. It's about people. And the other part of this, why it's so hard to speak on, is because it's about people you love and it's about people I love. My family, your family, your friends, my friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates. Jesus moved with compassion and he drew near to people and we need to do the same. And as we look at scripture, just as we've done every other week, this is not about me getting weapons, putting it in my pocket and walking out and attacking someone. So far from that. This is about how do we renew our mind? How do we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? How do we think well as followers of Christ? Because what Jesus said was, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And he is pointing to his father's commands. In fact, Jesus said this oh so clearly. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And what Jesus was getting at is that person that you just push aside, that you forget about, that you ignore, that you don't want to deal with, that just whatever may be different from you. So whatever you do to them, however you think about them, however you speak about them, what's in your heart about them, it's like you're doing it to Jesus. There's a gut check, right? So how do we respond as followers of Christ? Now for the last 25 years or so, I have worked really, really hard studying, um, reading widely on this topic, going to conferences with people who have a variety of views, speaking with conversations, or speaking with pastors who, again, have a very wide view. That's that conviction part of like wrestling with it. And the compassion part too. Just as you, your heart has been broken and moved and grown your friends and family members. I think of many walks that I've had, many meals. I think of a, a particular encounter in a bar that I'll tell you about later. Coffee with friends and family and texts and emails. And I want to tell you, it is impossible to do a good job covering this today. Um, so I'm going to walk away frustrated because there's all sorts of things that we just can't accomplish and I'm just going to barely touch on things and just barely hit things. And, and so the continuation part is super important today. 
for you and your groups and in your households and in the community and, and with me too. As know that I'm always open for conversation. And so we're just going to do a start and then I'm going to give you an encouragement to do homework, okay? Getting homework from church today. All right, so first question. I'm going to start this. How many times in Scripture, you can put this question up here. No, it's not on the screen. I forgot. This is not here today. There, it's right there. How many times in Scripture did Jesus directly address same-sex relationships? Okay. A, zero, B, one, ten, C, ten, or more. So you can keep this answer in your head. I won't make you raise your hands. Um, Those of you who selected answer A, you're correct. How many times did Jesus speak directly to same-sex relationships in Scripture? It is zero. Just take that in for a moment. Some of you knew that. Some of you are really going, what in the world is going on right now? So, got that there, ready? Now, it is inaccurate because Jesus did not speak directly to same-sex relationships. It is inaccurate to say, well, that's because they did not exist. You are 100% wrong. They existed very clearly. And all sorts of Greco-Roman authors spoke of this, of Clement, Ptolemy, Lucian, Many others clearly spoke of same-sex relationships. You may be going, well, well, they were oppressive. There was a power structure. Yes for some, no for many others. Many were consensual. Male, male, female, female. Consensual. Even Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, you can look at this later, he speaks to mutuality in these relationships. So Paul acknowledges this mutuality. So it's, it's inaccurate to say they didn't exist, inaccurate to say it was a power structure, and it's also inaccurate to say because Jesus didn't speak to it, he doesn't care about it, and therefore it's okay. There's an argument of silence that can be made in this conversation, where because Jesus didn't speak to this one issue, it's okay. But that breaks down really quickly. I mean, just plug in any number of things that Jesus did not speak to. We cannot just say he said, hey, that's great. Go for it because I didn't speak about it. Jesus has a very clear sexual ethic that is wrapped around the culture that he experienced and he wrote in, or not he wrote in, he lived in and spoke into. And the sexual ethic that he invites us as followers to is to walk in this way. And this ethic is not about rejecting or accepting a person It's not about affirming or not affirming a person. Rather, this ethic really wraps around what Jesus spoke to in marriage. Jesus and the New Testament writers always speak to sexuality within the context of marriage. And so therefore, when we look at Jesus' sexual ethic, we need to see what he spoke on and, and that. So when we engage in this conversation, we need to have some questions in mind. When we're talking to anyone else, we need a baseline. So I'm gonna give you three questions just as a baseline for conversation to be thinking through marriage. Again, I go to the screen that's not there. I will, I don't know, all right. Um, (laughs) One, what is the definition of marriage? What is your definition of marriage? Is it um, a monotheistic uh, Judaism, uh, Islam, Christianity of one man and one woman? Or is it a more modern West of two consensual adults? What is your definition of marriage? The second question, which can seem attacking, but it's not intended to be that way, is where did you get that definition? 
So is it rooted in scripture? Is it rooted in a Supreme Court decision? Is it rooted in a humanist manifesto? Is it rooted in how you feel or what you've experienced? Uh, what is that definition? And when someone says their definition and where they got their definition, you have no right to say, no, that's not true. That's their definition, and that's where they got it from. The third question says, are we speaking around Scripture at all? Is that, how has Scripture informed your view of marriage? So again, we're talking to each other as followers of Christ. So when we're having this conversation, how does or does not this impact your view of marriage? Again, you're just getting some baseline because a lot of times conversations happen in different planes and you're just going to talk past each other if you don't have some common, um, common points where you, at least you understand where each other are coming from. So how do you understand marriage? Well, some of you are just like, well, I believe in biblical marriage. Okay. Uh, Eric, will you throw up the next list? When we talk about biblical marriage, are we talking about marriage like Adam and Eve where God arranged that marriage? Does that mean that biblical marriage is arranged only by God? Or Cain, their son? Cain had sisters and no one else. So Cain married his sister. Is that biblical marriage? Where you have to marry your sister? Or what about Abraham and Sarah? Sarah couldn't have a child. And so she says, hey, I've got Hagar. Why don't you marry her so she can have our kid? Is that biblical marriage? Like, if you can't have a child, you've got to marry someone else so you can have a child? Or is it like Isaac and Rebekah, where Isaac's servant was sent to find him a wife, and the servant meets Rebekah and says, hey, this is of God. And Rebekah's like, okay, you said so. I'm going to go get married. Is that biblical marriage? Or Jacob, who loved the younger daughter, but had to work and marry the older daughter because you had to marry the older daughter first, and then you get the younger daughter, and then the two concubines there, is that biblical marriage? Or Othaniel, who went off to war, and the commander said, hey, you defeat the city, then you can have my daughter. You have to go defeat a city, and then that's biblical marriage. Or David, who had eight wives, including Bathsheba, who he lusted after, had an affair, and then killed her husband in order to marry her. Is that biblical marriage? Or uh, Ruth and Boaz, where Ruth climbed into Boaz's bed and just laid at his feet, and he woke up, creepy, and and said, be my kinsman redeemer. And he's like, oh, okay, sure, great. Is that biblical marriage? Or Mary and Joseph, the thrill is that this legal contract before you're legally married, is that biblical marriage? I think you get the point. We can't just say, well, I believe in biblical marriage because you're like, which biblical marriage? Right? So for lack of a better term, we look at it from a, a, a historical Christian view of marriage. Now, we don't believe this just because of history, just because of tradition, but what is this historical view of marriage? So again, what, what is the trajectory of Scripture? What is the monotheistic faith, speaking of, of a union between different sexes versus a Western of two consensual adults? And we go to something like 2 Timothy 3.16 of the word it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we look at a verse like that that says, when we have questions, let's go to scripture and let's see. Now we've seen the, the patterns of marriage, but what did Jesus 
say about marriage and, and what is that rooted in? So Matthew 19, would you turn there with me? And as I talk about this today, I want to be as clear as I can. I am not talking about legislation. I am not talking about whether or not marriage should be legal in our society. I'm not talking about that at all. This is what, what is Jesus' view of marriage? What does scripture have to say? So again, this is, scripture is written, when we look at the New Testament, it is written to the church. So how do we think on these things? Matthew 19, verse four. So Jesus is addressing divorce. He's just come to him and say, hey, how do you view this? So he speaks to marriage in this. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus here is grabbing onto Genesis 1 and 2. He goes all the way back to the creation story and says, what, what, is, what, is, what did God start with? And he references Genesis 1 and 2, and in Genesis 2 it says this. It says, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So there's a quality there. So in Genesis, we see this equality between man and woman. There's not a hierarchy there. There's equality there. It says, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united in to, to his wife, and they become one flesh. So a man and a wife, they're united. They, two unique, distinct beings, become one flesh. And so we see difference in Jesus' teaching on marriage. We see Jesus or in the, the Genesis story as well. The difference is a key part of marriage in Scripture. Now, in our statement of faith here at the church, some of you know this. Some of you may find this out here today is that this is what our statement of faith says. It says, we believe that the term marriage has only one meaning, the uniting of one man and one woman in a single exclusive union as delineated in scripture. And then right below that in our statement of faith, it says, we believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. And so when you look in our statement of faith and you look at scripture, these passages, which you can look up later, is you see that the, the biblical, the, the design here in scripture is the intent that sexual activity is being done within marriage. And then marriage, as we just saw in Jesus and we saw in the, in the Old Testament with Genesis, is this union of the difference there. So Jesus points out this difference between male and female and this oneness that comes in a union. But what about the rest of scripture? Some of you are like, there are more passages that speak to this. You're right, here's four of them. So there are four passages, I keep doing this. Now, if I point to it, there we go. All right. So there's four passages. You can throw in another two in there. And if you are talking about scripture, you're probably going to one of these and you're reading these. And so what does scripture have to say about same-sex relationships? It is consistent throughout in the Old Testament and the New Testament that is prohibited. Now, what happens too often with these verses, these are what's known as, what kind of passages? Have you heard the word? Well, proof text, that's proof text, yep, so that's good. So just grabbing something without looking at the whole, that's good. If I had more time, I'd go into that. Um, yep, just proof texting there. But these are what is known as clobber passages. Have you heard that term before? What happens is, haven't you heard Leviticus? Boom. Haven't you heard Romans? Boom. Haven't you heard 1 Corinthians? Boom. First Timothy? Boom. 
So you use these like weapons. That is not the intent of these. Yes, there's prohibitions in scripture that are here. And there's a greater picture of marriage that we can't just proof text like Dave was saying. But these can't be weapons. We can't clobber people with these. There is another part of our statement of faith which aligns with the heart of scripture that says this. It says right after these in our statement of faith, we believe that every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. Every person. Hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes directed towards any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with scripture nor the doctrines of this church. Any sort of prejudice, any sort, has no place here, no place for a follower of Christ, none. And so as a church, we can't just ignore or walk away or just accept or whatever it may be. We have to think well and we have to act well. And so there's a posture of a couple things that need to change in the church. The first thing is we cannot condemn. We cannot with our words, our actions, signs, billboards, posts, whatever it is, Christians have done a horrible job loving their LGBTQ plus neighbor. Terrible job. We cannot continue that. Jesus consistently approached with compassion and love, with compassion and conviction. So our words and actions and posts have to change. The second thing is we have to stop idolizing marriage and sex. We have reflected the word, world as a church. We've treated marriage as like the pinnacle of the Christian experience. Once you get married, golden. I, I hear the snickers. Yeah, the uncomfortable laughter there, right? Everything's great and fine once you get married. Marriage is good, don't get me wrong. We have idolized marriage and singleness has become second-class citizens in the church. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say this to me. Or you'll say things of like, so when are you getting married? Meet anyone yet? Like that is the pinnacle of being a follower of Christ or being a human being. We have to rethink our theology and what it means to be single. I mean, think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. He basically says, be single. And he says, if you have to get married, get married. We cannot live out saying the only way to be complete, fulfilled, happy, and flourish is to be married. We have to make space. We have to rethink this. We have to watch our language. Because if we're saying that marriage scripturally here, what Jesus said is between a male and a female, and then we're just always exalting marriage, what is that saying to those who are same-sex attracted? I'll get to that right now. The third thing we need to readdress, wrestle through, is simply just saying that people choose their attraction. I don't remember when I first became attracted to girls. I am attracted to other things. There's certain automobiles that I look at going down the road, I'm like, that is attractive, right? <laughs> I don't remember when I became attracted to that automobile. When we just say that someone chooses attraction, we are oversimplifying a very complex reality. Very complex. There are many factors that go into that attraction. 
many, many, many factors, more than we have time to unpack here today. And I was first challenged in this years ago. A friend of mine that I went to school with at Hope, he came out at Hope. And he grew up in the church, loved Jesus. And I was visiting out in California, and, and I called him and said, hey, let's have dinner. And so after dinner, we went and we walked, and I remember we were talking about his attraction, and um, he said to me, he said, Chris, why in the world would I choose this? Because you know how much hurt and pain I've caused myself and my family and my friends and church? Why? Now, I'm not saying that to justify anything, but I want to tell you that same-sex attraction is very real. Many of you in this room have had or have same-sex attraction. Many of you watching online have had or have same-sex attraction. And what you've been told is that attraction is sin. Or you've heard. What do you do? Or you walk away from the church like many other people have. We need to consider the reality of same-sex attraction, which is different than same-sex relationships. See, attraction turns to sin when it becomes lust or acting on that attraction. That's the same thing with any other situation. Whether you are attracted to someone of the opposite sex, when that becomes lust or sexual activity outside of marriage, sin. And with porn, the same thing with watching certain R-rated or MA-rated shows. When that lust stirs. We need to change this language and realize that theologically one's desire does not justify one's behavior. Just because you desire something doesn't mean you can act on it, and it's okay. Again, it's about taking every thought captive. It's about having the mind of Christ. And that's why we as a church, we have to have this compassionate posture and start changing the ways we're communicating and talking about same-sex attraction and then how we walk with people who have that. See, it's not about winning an argument or shaming or shunning or condemning Rather, it's about loving one another and, and helping people walk through and have a place to share. Years ago, I heard Andy Stanley, who is a pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, he said our youth group, he's specifically talking about his youth group, he said our youth group has to be the safest place in the world for our teens to talk about sexuality. No matter where they're coming from, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're saying, it has to be the safest place in the world. My heart that our church youth group would be that way too. It would be the safest place in the world to wrestle through these things. Be honest about it instead of just hiding or walking away. When I was in college, I traveled to Washington, D.C. with a friend of mine uh, who was a mentor of mine. And we were there for um, either a weekend or a week in Maryland working with a church. And his brother, who's gay, is uh, lived in D.C. And so we went out there on a Friday night and we just said, hey, we want to we hang out. 
They were sitting in his apartment. I'm like, we want to go out. This is, this is boring. We want to go out. And we said, we want to go where you go. And he smiled and he goes, nope. I'm like, no, really, we want to go where you go. We want to meet your friends. We want to see what life is like for you. And he smiled again and he said, okay. An hour later, we found ourselves in the middle of a bar. Super loud, dance music, a drag competition going on on the stage up front, and probably 90% of the people in there were male. As the night went on, someone approached me and started the conversation of, what's your name, where are you from? And he said, what are you doing in D.C.? I said, well, we're here for ministry. And he goes, oh! <laughs> and it immediately turned to tears. That shock turned to tears. And through his tears, he said this. He said, I was a youth pastor. He said, I struggled with same-sex attraction my entire life. He's like, I wanted to faithfully follow Jesus. I love Jesus. And I shared with my boss and I shared with my church that I was same-sex attracted. They fired me and they kicked me out of the church. And it turned to a sob. There he was in the middle of that bar, loud music, sobbing. True story. I walked up to him, and I hugged him. And there, he just laid his head on my shoulder and sobbed. Dove and I, my mentor, we prayed over him. We encouraged him. We don't have a clue what happened to him after that night. But my heart was forever broken in that moment. And I have studied scripture, I have read widely, I have had more conversations than you can imagine. And for me to be totally honest right now, I have looked in scripture, try to find where God blesses, where Jesus blesses. I wanna find it. This is me being transparent. Because I wanna walk and I just wanna be the, great, great, it's great. It's easier that way, great. But as I look at scripture, and by holding the authority of Scripture, I have to either throw Scripture away or I have to say that I'm not God. That I don't get this. I don't understand it. I don't understand God. And I have to yield to him. And I wrestle with that. Even in this moment, even as I share this today, I wrestle with that. That's me being totally honest. But I look to Scripture I see Jesus is teaching. And I have to embrace that. But what I do know, which is radically clear in Scripture, is that I'm also called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so are you. That I'm called to see and to care for people around me. I am here to affirm the humanity of every person. Every person is made in the image of God. That I'm here to share meals that I'm here to share conversations, that I'm here to hug, to pray with, to let Jesus work through me. I'm not the one that changes anything. I'm not the one. That's God's spirit. If God doesn't work and God changes, great. 
I'm called to be that light, the voice of compassion, that voice of conviction, just to be Jesus. In Luke 19, verse five, where we started with Zacchaeus, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. You know the names of people around you. Jesus didn't want to just preach at Zacchaeus. He wanted to go to his house. We can't preach at people. We have to invest in relationships. And I love that Jesus made the first move. Jesus didn't wait for Zacchaeus. Jesus moved towards Zacchaeus. You're moving towards people around you. And I love the last verse. It's really encouraging. Is that all the people saw this. Seriously. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Who cares what people around you say? Jesus didn't. Jesus went about the work of God. Who cares what people say? Religious people can be religious people. How do we love being the hands and feet, holding on with conviction to what the word of God says, allowing Spirit of God to work through us to bring about anything he wants to do. I want to recommend a book to you, actually two books to you. Um, so these are the two books. And they're both by a person named Preston Sprinkle. I love the work that Preston Sprinkle is doing. The book on the left there, People to be Loved, it will dive into so many of the things that we just skim the surface on. And you will wrestle with things. And what I love is what we're talking about. He operates with both compassion and conviction. Can't recommend that enough. The book on the right is written more towards teens uh, living in a gray world. Same ideas, uh, just written uh, at a different angle. He has some teenage kids, and so he wrote that for them. But I want to share one part of people to be loved as we wrap up. He said this. He said, Back a while, two lesbians decided to go to church one Sunday to make Christians mad. Let's just go for fun. We'll see how much we can push their buttons, Amy told her girlfriend. I hear their motto is, come as you are, Amy scoffed. I just want to prove that they're come as you are unless you're gay. Are our churches sending that signal? If you're greedy, slanderous, pugnacious, or addicted to drugs and alcohol, then come as you are. But if you're gay, you're not welcome. Amy got that from somewhere. And according to the statistics, she's not alone. The evangelical church is considered to be anti-homosexual and therefore anti-Amy. But Amy and her girlfriend went to church. They flirted in front of everyone, held hands, and made it very clear that they were lesbians. How did the church respond? Instead of disgusted looks of contempt we expected, people met, uh, met eyes with us and treated us like real people, Amy recalls. When I first read Amy's words, I was excited to see how this church fronted love. But there was a word that Amy uses that makes my heart break. Expected. Instead of the disgusted looks of contempt we expected, they treated us like real people. Amy and her girlfriend were shocked that these Christians thought that they were human beings and not monsters. 
Why was this shocking? What else would they expect from a bunch of sinners saved by grace? How else should divine image bearers plugged into a lifetime of undeserved favor treat two human beings who are drawing near to the body of Christ? Expected. They expected Christians to treat them like some subspecies of the human race. Instead, they were shocked that followers of Christ actually acted like Christ. And I want to leave us with this thought of when people encounter us, who do they experience? When they encounter you as an individual and when they encounter us as a church, do they experience Jesus Christ? And moving forward, will they experience Jesus Christ in your life here? Um, I don't know. Um, I think as we walk away from today, I think my heart's desire is that there's an uneasiness in every single one of us. I hope in many ways more questions have been stirred than answered. And that most importantly, the Spirit of God is, is poking areas that the Spirit of God wants to do work in us as individuals and as a church. Like I said, it's impossible to resolve or just say, here's the one thought walking away. It's impossible. Because again, we're not talking about an issue. We're talking about people. People made in the image of God who Jesus died for, who God dearly loves. And so may we be a people follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who are led by the Holy Spirit, who are continually transformed. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray in this moment, and knowing that your spirit is at work, God, this is a, a deeply personal issue, reality for so many of us, not all of us, or because it's people we love. Father, thank you for implanting that heart in us and that spirit, stoking the flames of that love, that Jesus-centered love. And so, Father, I pray that we would walk faithfully with you Lord, holding on to what you've taught, how you've directed us, whether we understand it or not. But Lord, that we would walk with what is clear as day, that call the neighbor. So Father, may we love you more. May we love neighbor more, going from this place. Jesus, thanks for these minutes that we could spend together. Lord, we pray blessing upon each person. And uh, Lord, as we wrestle with this, God, I pray that you would uh, do a mighty work. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I encourage you to continue the conversations. Um, we're going to upload some questions for you to discuss at home or in your community groups. And uh, they should be live on social media right now, but they'll be up on our website too at this, um, this QR code shortly. Um, keep talking. Keep asking God. Keep being directed there. And today, if you need prayer, um, I believe Andrew and Stella. Is that right? So Andrew and Stella, I'm going to invite you guys to come forward. Um, we have a prayer team that is here every single week, uh, so please come see them, whether you feel like it's something large or something small, whatever it is, they'd love to pray for you, and, uh, and please um, take advantage of that. Also, um, may have someone for Stephen Ministry out in the lobby, is that true, Lori? We're going to have Stephen Minister out there, okay. So if you're looking for some sort of long-term uh, walking with, um, there we go, so thank you, all right. <laughs> so, uh, and so we, uh, if you're looking for some sort of long-term type of care, um, we can get connected there and, uh, and walk with you. And so uh, on your way out, make sure you say hi to someone, introduce yourself to someone, um, love on your kids' teachers if you're picking your kids up. And we're just so thankful that you're here. And uh, we'll be back next week talking about gratitude. Pastor Gurton's going to be giving the message. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and you should too. So uh, may God bless you as you uh, grow this week. All right. Have a good week.